Buonasera, mi dispiace che non parlo italiano abbastanza bene per fare tutto il discorso in italiano, allora parlo in inglese, and I could stand up as well. If I stand up, can you still hear me? Is that okay? The back? Okay. Um, well, thank you very much. It's a real honor to be here today. And, uh, and really, I'm coming as much to learn from the degrowth movement and to see what the overlaps are between degrowth uh, and transition. And I think in many ways they are the same thing. Um, I love the, uh, the logo of this conference with the snail. But having come from England, This summer, uh, the snail has some, some rather uh, more sad overtones for me. Because, because of climate change, my garden is full of snails this year. And uh, I grow food for my family every year. This year is the first year I gave up. I abandoned my garden to the slugs and snails. They, they took over the whole place. So, um, so I want to talk a bit about uh, transition, as you might imagine. And, uh, and to say, first of all, the The things that underpin transition are these things of peak oil, of climate change, of economic uh, degrowth, of economic contraction, these things which I'm sure you're all very familiar with, so I don't really need to explain them. But I suppose the way that we sum it up is really to say, there is no cavalry coming to our rescue. Sometimes we think, oh well, it'll be fine because the government will sort it out, or big business will sort it out, or the banks will sort it out. That's not happening and it, and it won't happen. And, my, and what we see happening in transition initiatives in many, many places, how many people here have a transition initiative that they know of that's happening near them? Okay. It's a bit slow. A bit slow, okay. Um, so transition is something which says we need to be the change. We need to start this process where we are. Uh, that actually we need to come to our own rescue in that sense. So it started maybe six years ago, and there are now transition initiatives, thousands of them in 34 countries uh, around the world. It's a kind of a viral thing, and it picks up on a lot of what the previous speakers have said so beautifully in terms of the need to start to make degrowth happen. What does it look like if we start to do this? So transition has really been an experiment for the last six years. We started out, we had no idea if it would work anywhere. It's been an experiment to see what happens if this process starts with ordinary people from the ground up. And from, the, from that experiment so far, we are starting to see certain qualities that emerge. We see firstly that transition is an inner process as well as an outer process. It's not just about new light bulbs, different kinds of cars, growing carrots. It's about the fact that the transition that was so beautifully talked about in the story uh, here actually is something that will be a big uh, journey for us all. It will mean that for many people, what we thought lay ahead of us isn't what lies ahead of us. We need to be able to support each other through that, with building personal resilience as well as community resilience and economic resilience. It's about leading by practical example. And what I'm going to speak about is what transition groups are doing to start to bring this new, more equal, more localised economy into, in, into being. They don't wait for anybody's permission to do that. 
It's an approach which is rooted in place. Transition looks different in every place where it happens, whether it's in uh, uh, um, Brasilandia in Brazil, or Bologna, or Brixton. Transition looks different, it emerges from the place. There is enough that is the same, but there is also, uh, there is also much which is of that place. It's about turning problems into solutions. It's like a pair of glasses that you put on through which you can see possibilities rather than probabilities. It's also a cultural shift. I see more and more, when I started to do transition, my idea was that it was an environmental process. Now, six years along, it, it feels to me like it's a cultural process. How do we make the culture of the place that we live appropriate for these times? How do we change the stories that our communities tell about themselves and about what's possible? It's also an economic process, which again you will see in a moment. It's a process about uh, building a new economy, the kind of economy that we want to see, the economy of happiness, as Helena put it so beautifully. And it's about being a storyteller. Transition is about telling new stories. And these stories uh, are ones which, which, which are very infectious, as you will see. So sometimes people wonder, well, how, does, how, does, how do we make this idea spread? You know, surely we need to be standing on the street corners, handing out leaflets to everybody. And we, need to be, we need to be campaigning and shouting, and all those things have their place. But what I have noticed about transition over the last six years has been that it spreads in a very interesting way. And the best analogy that I use is, is this, which is what's called a mycorrhizal fungus. This is a kind of a mushroom that you find in undisturbed soils. Uh, in, if I had a cube about that big of soil from an undisturbed forest, it would contain about 10 miles of mycorrhizal fungus. Incredibly fine uh, networks between the things. It's how a forest manages to balance its fertility. It's how it communicates shock. It's what gives that woodland, that forest, its resilience. And in many ways, transition feels like inoculating the soil with a mycorrhizal fungus. It spreads. And sometimes people come to a transition town and they go, Well, I can't see any transition going on here, frankly. <laughs> But it's because a lot of initially the, those, those, uh, those very fine threads run beneath, beneath the surface and then they fruit, sometimes in places you expect and sometimes in places where you don't expect. I think transition spreads some of the ways that it spreads. One of them is through creativity. These two ducks here, these are called Bertie and Gertie. And Bertie and Gertie were made in Tooting in London, a very, very diverse part of London with uh, high poverty levels. And they, had, um, uh, they uh, came to us in Transition Network in Totnes and said, how do we do transition in Totnes? We said, we have absolutely no idea, but when you work it out, we'd love to hear your stories. So they went and they organised something they called the Trash Catchers Carnival. It was a street carnival that involved thousands of people. They made amazing big props and, and puppets and all these things, all out of recycled materials. These two ducks were made from, from old plastic bags. 
On the day, about 10,000 people came out to see the procession. It ended up in the local park, where local restaurants fed everybody for free. And the next day, when they got together to reflect on it, their key learning was, if we can do this, we can do anything. I think it spreads also by shared work about coming together, as previous speakers spoke about this. You know, when people come together to do something together, there is something that happens that's much greater than the work that they create. This is in London again, this is in Kilburn, uh, and this is transition Kensal to Kilburn, growing food on their local underground station. They are the first London underground station that has food growing on it, uh, and their hope is that it will spread out uh, along the lines. And anybody is invited to help themselves on their way home, pick some herbs, pick some salad, pick some strawberries. Another way it spreads is through ideas that anybody can pick up. In the UK now there are hundreds of transition initiatives. If one comes up with an idea that works, it can be replicated very, very quickly in many places. One of those ideas is called draft busters. Draft busters is the idea that if you want to draft proof someone's house to keep all the wind out of the windows and doors, you go to someone's house and you have a party. You hold an event where you do that in the house and then you get given what you need to do your own house. This is now happening in many, many parts of London, many other parts of the country. It can spread very, very fast. Also, we need to create new traditions, I think. This is in, uh, in Tooting again. They hold something called the food event, which is very interesting. When we talk about local food, previous speakers have talked about local food. But what does local food mean in somewhere like Tooting, where the majority of people are from the Indian subcontinent, are from all around the world? If you go into a food shop, uh, on Tooting High Street, everything in that shop has been imported from the Indian subcontinent. Absolutely everything. What does local food mean in that context? So the food of our, what they do, is they bring locally grown food from allotments, from community gardens, all around Tooting. They bring it to Tooting High Street, and in the food of our, the chefs from the Pakistani restaurant, the Turkish restaurant, the Lebanese restaurant, they cook the local food in their tradition. And then that food is given away on the high street to people as they pass. Celebration is really important. So often this, this, the environmental movement can be seen as quite dour uh, and not very celebratory. But these things that where we come together to have fun and to enjoy ourselves, this is a place called Comox Valley, I think it's in Canada. This is them having a big uh, picnic, just a big potluck picnic to bring everybody together. But I think one of the ways that we've really seen these ideas spread is street by street. What does it look like if we can start to get a hunger for degrowth, a hunger for a low-carbon society to bubble up from the grassroots, to bubble up from ordinary people? In transition, in Totnes, where I came from yesterday, um, we run something called Transition Streets. Transition Streets works on the idea that you get out on your street, you knock on the doors, you get six or ten of your neighbours together, and you meet seven times in each other's houses. And we have a workbook people use. First week we talk about energy, second week we talk about water, food, and so on. And at the end of every session, you agree to do some things, you agree to make some changes. So in our town now, there are 700 households have done this. And they've saved on, on average about one and a half tonnes of carbon, which is fantastic. But the key learning from this, which is extraordinary to me, was that when the researchers came in and did this, and they asked people, what did you 
you get out of doing plants on transition streets? They don't say, I save 1.4 tonnes of carbon. Actually, what they say is this. They say community, neighbours, getting to know, street, awareness. Which is fascinating, because actually, maybe, so maybe the way to really address climate change isn't really to make climate change the big issue. Peak oil, big issue. Neither of those words really appear on here. What people say to me is, it's fantastic. I know Sandra down there. I know Dave down there. I never knew you could do that. We're doing this starting a project together. There's now a community cinema that's grown out of this. There's a community orchard that's grown out of this. There's a bicycle share scheme that has grown out of this. We didn't do that. We just started the initial thing. It's very, very interesting. And at the heart of that is the group of people that come together. And one of the things in transition is it starts with the groups. It starts with the people who come together. And all too often these days in our very individualised, very fragmented societies, we've really forgotten how to work as groups with other people. You know, we, there's skills that we don't really have. So part of transition is about trying to give groups the skills that they need in order to be able to run those groups successfully. Uh, and that's through training, through all the other things that we do. So, that's the, the thread of our micro-riser, if you like. This may be some of the ways in which it spreads. But in terms of actually what the fruits look like, I want to give you some examples of some things that are happening. Many places start, as Helena said, with food. Food is the place where lots of community groups get started. You don't need to wait for permission to do food projects. You generally don't need planning approval. And you often don't need funding to get started with local food projects. This is in Norwich, where Transition Norwich started something called FarmShare, Community Supported Agriculture Scheme. has now about 100 members. Uh, has a farm on the edge of Norwich, right next to an enormous uh, insurance uh, company who are very famous in that city. Uh, but it's something which, uh, which, is, which people feel it's theirs. It's their farm. They go up and they work on it, they help out it, they go up for the harvesting and so on. And these things are really important. This is in a town in Yorkshire called Slathwaite, or Slathwaite if you're from that part of the country. And uh, there, their local greengrocer was closing down. And they were very sad because greengrocer had been there for a long time. So the community got together and said, we want to keep our greengrocer. We want to run it ourselves. What do other people think? Enough people said, yeah, we want to do that. They raised £15,000 from local people who really wanted it to happen. And it's now open as the Green Valley Grocer. But what's interesting about the Green Valley Grocer is that it's more than just a grocer's shop. When they started to run their own grocer's shop, they found that as a wholesaler, all the garlic available to them came from China. They said, this is ridiculous. We can grow garlic in Yorkshire. We grow very good garlic in Yorkshire. So they, uh, so they started something they called the Slapweight Garlic Challenge. Everybody who came into the shop got given two cloves of garlic, and they said, take it home and grow it, and then we will buy it from you when you're finished. So in two years' time, maybe we might be self-sufficient in garlic, if nothing else. What happened was that then a cooperative set up to grow the produce uh, for the shop, which is, uh, which is a locally run cooperative. Uh, and there's also now an energy company set up by local people to put in place renewable energy. Uh, it's, so it's not just a shop, it's been a catalyst for a whole new way of looking at the economy of that place. 
Another place that, that transition groups get very active is, is with energy, community energy. In Germany, something like 50% of renewable energy infrastructure is owned by communities. I don't know how it is in Italy, but in England it's about 3%. But there's huge potential for communities to own their own renewable energy. This is in a place called Lewis in Sussex, one of the early transition groups. They formed a, an energy company and they raised £310,000 to cover the roof of their local brewery in solar panels. Huge, huge solar array. And the brewery celebrated this by brewing this special beer called Sunshine Ale. Uh, and so these kind of tie-ins with food and energy and community are really important. This is uh, in the city of Bath. Bath and West Community Energy is a really exciting uh, community energy initiative. They've raised nearly three quarters of a million pounds in shares from local people to start putting renewable energy in place. They are, uh, they are really seeing themselves as a driver for the wider localisation of the city. If we're serious about localising the places that we live, we have to start to think entrepreneurially. We have to start thinking about how we're actually going to raise the finance to do that. And this is one of the most uh, exciting models of what that looks like. One to a little bit about local currencies. This is the Brixton Pound, which is from, from that part of London. I think they are by far the coolest banknotes, much, much cooler than the euro, much, much cooler than sterling. They have David Bowie on a £10 note. I think that's very good. So this is a local currency scheme just for that part of London, of Brixton. It's taken in many, many hundreds of shops. Uh, you can now pay your business rates with them. And they've developed a really innovative approach where you can also pay by text. You walk in the shop, you send a text to the shopkeeper, that's your payment done. But it can only be used with local businesses. That software was developed by Transition Network and other people, and it's freely available for anybody who wants to, to, to use that on your These local currencies we're starting to see popping up all over the place as a way of, to use that analogy of our local economies as like a bucket that has many, many holes in where the money pours out. Local currency won't go out through the hole. It can only stay open. But a really exciting development that actually is launching tonight is the Bristol Pound. The city of Bristol, nearly a million people. This is the first currency like this for a whole city. And the launch is tonight. I was very torn, but I, I came here. Uh, so this is a, a local currency for the whole city of Bristol. Again, the notes are absolutely beautiful, and you can come and look at these afterwards if you like. But again, this is using pay-by-text systems local currencies, the local council will take them for rates, for taxes. It's very exciting. And it's on a scale where it could be a real game-changer for cities uh, all over the place. It's very interesting, we just held the, uh, the Transition Networks Conference, which we do every year, and we had it in London last weekend. And it was very interesting to see how transition is emerging in the places uh, such as Portugal and Greece, where the economic situation is extremely difficult and how it's emerging maybe in Germany, in the UK and in the US. Uh, and in Portugal, for example, one of the things they're really working on this idea of a gift economy because um, they don't necessarily have, if you run a, organise a thing in a film and you charge people to come, maybe nobody will come. So they run lots of events like this where people come together uh, and, and give what they feel something is worth and learn skills that are appropriate. It's very interesting to see that sort of difference, I think. 
And also, in, uh, I hate to use the word developing world, developing world especially after Helen's talk, but um, uh, it's very interesting to see transition in Brazil, for example, in Brasilandia, which is one of the poorest favelas in, in Sao Paulo, where transition there isn't presented as being about peak oil and climate change. It's about, it's about community, it's about solidarity, it's about enterprise, it's about creating a new culture of work for people. So just to, 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 to pull all this together, I want to talk about uh, what's happening in, in Totnes in Devon, which is the first transition initiative, which I think increasingly has a very, very important story to tell about where we are and where we're going. Transition Town Totnes has been going for about five or six years now, and, uh, and one of the things that it's doing now is, is an economic blueprint. Often when we talk about localization, we, 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 we say localization should happen because it's a really good idea. Localization should happen because it's morally better. It, it's, it's better for, it's better environmentally, it's better socially. We don't often make an economic case for our thought. Whereas if, uh, if a big supermarket wants to come in, into our town, they say we will create 50 jobs, we will put £800,000 every year into this economy. So this is the first time where we are mapping our existing local economy so that we can argue the benefits of localisation. We find, for example, that our local supermarket has uh, about £30 million a year spent on, on, on local food, of which £20 million is spent in our two supermarkets. So then we can say, if we can shift 10% of our spending on food to local businesses, that's £2 million in our local economy. Where else is £2 million going to come from? So we start to argue that case in terms of energy, the amount of money we can bring locally if we can generate more renewable energy. The, the thing that's really exciting about this economic blueprint, which will be coming out in the autumn, is that it's not our, it's not Transition Town Totnes' economic blueprint, it's the Town Council's economic blueprint. With the support of the District Council, with the support of the Chamber of Commerce, with the support of the local schools and colleges, this is, a, this is the first time this has been done anywhere, to, to the best of my knowledge. And, uh, and, and it not only sets out the economic benefits, but the steps, how we get started. And many of those steps are already in place. We are looking to try and stimulate a new economy for this town, uh, uh, and a new entrepreneurial spirit. We ran this event where we had a, a, what we called a local entrepreneurs forum, where people came together, we had a Green Dragon's Den. I don't know if you know that. Do you have that Green Dragon's Den program? So people would come along, pitch their business ideas uh, to some experts. And we, we brought together people with ideas for businesses, people who wanted to invest in businesses, and people who could offer mentoring and support. It was absolutely fantastic. Also, sometimes, as, as well previous speakers have said, you also have to put yourself in front of things which you feel are going to damage the resilience at the local level. So transition is about building community resilience from the bottom up. But what do you do when something appears as a threat to the resilience that you're building? And recently in, 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 in Totnes, where there was a, a, a local economy which has managed to resist most of the big, big chains who predominate most of the high streets, we had a Costa Coffee who wanted to come in. This is a big uh, coffee chain business who are very predatory and who want to expand massively. And they wanted to come into this town that already has 41 independent coffee businesses. 
and everybody was horrified. And we organised an independent coffee festival to celebrate the coffee culture that we have. We held a barista competition in the town square. We organised a fantastic campaign and found that actually across the country, many other towns are also fighting Costa. And in some places, Costa are open without planning permission. And they're so powerful that the councils don't even try to close them down. So we, we held this campaign. In the end, Costa got their planning permission because the system is unable to tell, they can't distinguish between the local coffee business and the, and the multinational. The key difference is that actually uh, Costa are an extractive industry, as I never talked about. But actually what's happened off this campaign is it's generated a lot of awareness about the need to support your local traders, support your local businesses, and now that our, our 41 independent coffee businesses are, are fuller than, than they've ever been. It's been extraordinary. We have a community energy company, the Tottenham's Renewable Energy Society, which started up uh, from Transition Town Tottenham, now stands on its own. It uh, has over 500 members, and they've just applied for planning permission to put two big wind turbines uh, on the edge of the town. Uh, and it's now going through planning permission. There's a lot of excitement and a lot of support about that. And you know, sometimes, like I said before, people come to Totnes, they say, well, there's no great transition to me. Because a lot of the things that you would expect, the wind and so on, it takes a while to do. But in a couple of years, we'll have those things. The last thing I want to, to mention is this, which, which I think is really exciting, uh, which is a project we're doing, which is called the Atmos Project. And if there was ever uh, an example of how applying kind of transition thinking uh, uh, can, can move us towards a degrowth, uh, more local economy, this is it. So in the middle of our town, next to our railway station, is an eight-acre site, which used to be a milk processing plant. In the 1960s, it employed uh, about 200 people, and it brought in milk from 1,300 farms around our town. In 2007, it closed because the owners said, it's not viable anymore. We're moving it all somewhere miles and miles away. 163 people lost their jobs. And the whole site has just fallen to bits ever since. Rusty metal, dangerous, children breaking in and hurting themselves. So we started a project which we call Atmos, which is about bringing that site into community ownership, to develop it as the heart of a new economy, to have that site as a catalyst for what we want to see the economy of our place to be like. We've involved many, many hundreds of people. There are local MPs passionate that this will happen. Uh, we have run a campaign, a six-month campaign, to get the site's owners, Daily Christ, to work with this community, to let this community be the future of that site. And we are so, so nearly there. And we've closed off all their other options. It's been very exciting. And this was about two weeks ago. We had this man, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, some of you may know, is a, a food campaigner, broadcaster very well-known chef who came to the site and many hundreds of people turned out and this red heart has been the, the, the symbol of the whole campaign. And when our local MP talks to people, she says, this atmos is what that, this community wants to see happen on that site. So for me, what's most important about transition is it's about stories like this. It's about a story of a city that prints its own money. It's the story of a town that becomes its own developer and changes the story about what it wants development to be like. 
And for me, when I was a child, I remember reading Rudyard Kipling's Just So Stories. And in there, they were like how the elephant got his trunk, these kind of stories. And in those stories, God would take clay from the soil and make it into the shape of an animal and blow into it and, and the animal would fly away. And for me, it feels like these stories that we tell are what breathe the possibility into the places that we live. They're what makes things seem possible. Uh, and that's where, the, that's where resilience comes from. It's what we feel is possible as the times around us change and move so urgently uh, and so rapidly. Uh, and one last thing, you know, sometimes people ask, uh, someone asked me today, so, but what impact does transition have on government, on national government? I think in the UK, actually, transition has impacted on, on government in, in, in quite a few ways. And actually, one of the ways is recently there was a, a fund that was set up, £10 million uh, for communities doing this kind of work. And actually, it was the first time there was a fund that the communities, the, 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 the transition network and others, actually managed ourselves. And it was fantastic. Transition groups up and down the country did wonderful things. And then that looks like that's going to be expanded into a new, into a new round of that. So um, I think actually where we find ourselves is that degrowth is the most enormous possibility. And one time somebody came up to me and said, oh, I read in the paper the other day that peak oil isn't real. I do hope that's not the case because I was so excited about all the things we were going to do. And, uh, and so for me, degrowth is the great opportunity, the great possibility of our times. And I hope that this presentation has given you some ideas uh, of what can be done in the places that you live. Uh, and if you want to find out any more, here are some web addresses, that kind of thing. So thank you very much for your time.